Okay, so one more time. We're four lines down. That you have until the end of the first watch. So the Gemara asks, Microsoft or Rabbi Lazar, what does Rabbi Lazar hold when he says that they're until the end of the first watch? If he's of the opinion that there are three watches during the night, so you should just say until four hours. Why speak in terms of watches at all? It's a complicated concept. Just say it four hours into the night. Maybe you hold that there are four watches during the night, which is also a possibility. We're going to learn that there are different opinions. If there are four watches in the night, then each watch is three hours. So then let him just say until three hours into the night. Whichever way you look at it, either he holds there are three watches or there are four watches, we don't understand why he's speaking in, term of, in terms of watches at all. So the Gemara answers, Lazar is of the opinion that there are three watches in during the night. Why doesn't he say until four hours into the night, until 10 p.m.? Rabbi Lazar wants to tell us something, and this is very similar to the concept we learned yesterday, that even when I'm going to tell you something in a Mishnah, and we're going to primarily be learning one thing, if I can slip in an, a little bit of a novelty in a different place, then I'll throw it in. So we're learning here the laws of Shema. We're not learning here the laws of the celestial spheres and what I call this Baruch who is doing up in heaven at night. That's not the topic of conversation here. But if I could throw in a Chiddush about the concept of Mishmaros, and we can learn something from it, then the Tana will do that. So Rabbi Lazar is trying to show you the Ika Mishmaros Berikiah, the Ika Mishmaros Ba'ara. He's trying to say that you should know that there's a watch, and a watch is something that's real. It's a reality in the world. A watch isn't only something that exists in heaven. The watch is something that exists down here in earth as well. And how long is Rabbi Lazar teaching us that the concept of a watch is something that's down here on earth? Because if he says until the end of the first watch, well, then obviously it's something that human beings can relate to. So you as a human being can read the Mishnah, see that it's until the end of the first watch, and know now what the time is. There must be some indication of the end of the first watch here down on earth. And what is this concept? There are really only three mishmaros at night. Each one is four hours. At the end of each mishmar, HaKadosh Baruch Hu sits and cries out like a lion's roar. So this Pasuk is describing this idea of HaKadosh Baruch Hu crying out. And the crying out is specific, Yishag al-Naveu. Naveu means HaKadosh Baruch Hu's beauty. It means the object of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's beauty is the base of Mikdash. The reason HaKadosh Baruch Hu is crying is because the base of Mikdash has been destroyed. And each and every night, at the end of the Mishmar, HaKadosh Baruch Hu sits and cries. Vesimen ladover. But then the Brisa continues that again, as we said, there's a Mishmar here on earth as well. You could tell what the Mishmar is. What is it? Mishmar harishayna chamar noyer. The donkey's bray is the end of the first Mishmar. The second one is the dogs who are barking, who are crying. Shlishis, the end of the third one, are two indications. It's the sounds of suckling that the, the baby does when it's nursing. It's already woken up a little bit earlier than everybody and it's nursing from the breast of its mother. And the second sign is they are already hushed conversations that are taking place while people are still in bed. A woman is talking, conversing with her husband before they are getting up. So that is the uh, indication for the third Mishmar. These are obviously very, very deep things that are beyond us. We're really, really only touching the surface in terms of what these are. But there's a concept of a, a, a Mishmar where the night is divided up into three parts. At the end of each part, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is crying over the base of Mikdash. And there are indications here on earth that tell us what these times are. So Rabbi Eliezer says, Yes, that is just a simply another way of saying until 10 p.m. 
until four hours into the night. But he chose to depict it in terms of Mishmaros in order to show us that we could relate to the Mishmaros here on earth, even though really they're primarily what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is doing, crying up in heaven. So now the Gemara clarifies when the Simonim come. We mentioned that there are, there, there are three Mishmaros and each one has a different sign. What is it a sign of? Is it the sign of the beginning of the Mishmar or the end of the Mishmar? If we're talking about the beginning of the Mishmar, so in other words, that would mean that the donkey brays right in the beginning of the night and the dog barks right in the beginning of the second watch and the kid is, is nursing right in the beginning of the third watch. If that's what he's saying, Why do you have to give a sign for the beginning of the first Mishmar? The beginning of the first Mishmar is nightfall. You don't need a sign for that. That's the stars. You only need a sign for something that's in the middle of the night. The beginning of the night, everyone knows what the beginning of the night is. So if he's talking about the beginning of the Mishmaros, then we don't understand why you need a sign for the first one. And if you're going to suggest that these signs are for the end of the Mishmaros, so that would mean that the donkeys bring at the end of the first Mishmar at 10 p.m. The dogs are barking at the end of the second Mishmar at 2 a.m. And the kid is, is, is suckling from the mother, that's 6 a.m. If you would like to explain it like that, well, then you also have a difficulty. Uh, why do you need a simana? Why do you have to give a simon for the end of the last Mishmar? That's simply day. So however you look at it, something's off. If you're saying it's the beginning of the Mishmaros, then you don't need a simon for the beginning, for the first one, because that's simply nightfall. And if you're saying it's the simon for the end of the Mishmaros, then you don't need a simon for the last one, because that's simply daybreak. So why do you need both a simon for the beginning and for the end? So the Gemara explains, Ella, rather, Chashiv Sof Mishmar Rishona, the donkey brain was the end of the first simon, that's 10 p.m., Tchilas Mishmar Achrona, the third simon of the child nursing is the beginning of the last one. That's 2 a.m. The emtso is the emtsiyusa. But the Gemara is switching out is that the dog barking is the middle of the middle one. So what's the middle of the middle one? Chatzos. Right? So you got the middle of the middle one, right? The middle one right goes from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. The middle of those four hours would be midnight. Okay, so we're saying you don't need a simon for the beginning of the first one. That's obviously night. You don't need a simon for the end of the last one. That's obviously daybreak. You need a simon for the end of the first one. That's the donkey. You need a simon for the beginning of the last one. That's the child nursing. And you need a simon. The dog is the middle of the middle. But it's fascinating how the middle of the middle is so off. And in fact, a beautiful shot over here just to know it's still a store away. It comes out that when did the dogs bark? Halayla. says when left why was that such a miracle? The answer was, because when did it happen? It happened at Kachatzoi Salayla. It was right at Kachatzoi Salayla when Makas Pachoros took place. And they didn't bark, and it was their time to bark. The Kalei Tzoyakim. That's what the Mepharshim explained, that specifically their time. But the Zohar HaKadosh already brings, and for those who say, anyone who wakes up and says, Tekken Chatzos, I don't know if anyone does or doesn't, that's your personal business. But if you do, the reason you do it is because of this answer of the Gemara. According to this, and they shown him, say, what's going on here? Why do we have to know the middle of the middle? There must, in other words, you're not just telling me the cap of Mishmaros. You told me 10 p.m., 2 a.m., that's great. The end of the first, the beginning of the third. What's the middle of the middle? Must be, that's like an extra special time when HaKadosh Baruch Hu is crying. HaKadosh Baruch Hu must be crying extra hard in the middle of the middle. That's the most intense part of the night. That's the dog barking here on earth to show us this is the most intense moment of pain for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. If you're going to get up and cry with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, 
out of the Chorban, which is the very concept that comes from our Gemara, that if HaKadosh Baruch Hu is crying in heaven, and he gives me a sign here on earth that I can also relate and empathize with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then I should do that in the most intense moment is Chatzais. That's where the whole thing comes from. Okay. Says the Gemara. That's one answer. Or if you'd like, Really, he's counting all the end of the Mishmars. Right, you were asking that why do I need the end of the last one? That's simply daybreak. What difference does it make? To know when you're supposed to read Shema. For someone who is lying. And it's a dark home. He's in a basement without any windows, let's say. He's unaware. He doesn't know how he's supposed to know what's my Kriyashma. He doesn't have a phone with an app telling him. He's trying to look at the day to know when the day breaks. But he's not outside. He's not looking at the sky, so he can't tell. So he wants to know when. What is the time to reach Shema? When he hears, he hears the auditory signs, these two things of the child nursing and the woman conversing with her husband, that's an indication that it is time to get up and recite Shema. Now, Tysus points out, this does not mean that the earliest time to reach Shema is daybreak. In fact, we're going to learn later in the Masechla that it's not. It's a little bit later than dawn. So what is the Gemara saying? He should get up and Shema. She means he should start readying himself for Shema. Get up, go to the bathroom, get dressed. But technically, this man for Kriya Shema in the morning, we're going to learn, but is actually advisable to wait a little bit. Says the Gemara, Marv Yitzchak Bar Shmuel, continuing the same concept, Mishmei Darab. Gimel Mishmaras, I will three Mishmaras every night. At each Mishmaras, Kalish Baruch Hu roars like a lion. What does he say? Oy Levanim, woe to my sons, to the sons, that's us. Shevon of Samech, Raftius Basi, because their sins caused me to destroy my own home. I had to burn my heichol and exile my own children. So woe to the children. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is crying for our low state. That's what it seems. When we say HaKadosh Baruch Hu cries for his temple, the idea is crystallizing a little bit in this line of the Gemara. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't care about the sticks and stones. HaKadosh Baruch Hu cares about us. He feels bad about how low we have fallen that he had to do such a thing. Zotti Gemara Tanya. This is one of the most esoteric pieces of Agarita out there. I was once walking on the road. I was once traveling. Rabbi Yossi lives post temple. He lives post Chorban Habayas. And he says, I, once, I was on the road. I needed a place to stop in Davin. So I entered into one of the old ruins of Jerusalem. Ba Elio Zochalatov Elio Anavi comes. May his memory be blessed. He waits for me on the entrance to the to the to the chorva. He doesn't even come in. Until I finish my tefilasi. After I finish davening, Amrli he says to me, Shalom alecha, Rebbe. From I responded to him, Shalom alecha, Rebbe umori. So he gets him back one even more. From he says to me, Boni, my son, Rebbe What are you doing inside of this ruin? Amarti lo, I said to him, Elio, I'm coming to daven. Amar Li Elio said to him, You did the wrong thing. You should have davened on the road. But I said to him, But I was concerned that the passerbys on the road, the people on the road, would distract me. It's distracting davening on the road. Amar Li, he said to me, Who told you to daven the full long version of Shmona Esrei? There's another version of Shmona Esrei, which we will learn about later in the fourth parak, which is a shorter, abridged version of the Shemona Esrei, made specifically for people who can't concentrate for so long, like you, who are on the road. So what are you saying? You have to go into the Chorva to daven Shemona Esrei, daven the short version outside. That's the end of the story. Very odd story. At that moment, I learned three things. Number one that I learned is, you're not supposed to go into a Chorva. 
Because he said to me, why, what are you doing here? What are you doing here means something's wrong about what you're practicing. I learned the Chiddush. A person can daven on the road. Why is that a novelty? That's the way you try to relate to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Maybe you should, a person should only daven if they're in a place that they can concentrate really well. I learned that that's not the halacha. You can daven even in a place that you can't concentrate that well, even if it's the road. But I learned, and here's the caveat, yes, you could daven on the road. But when you daven on the road, it should be in a bridge version. Now, I just want to share very, very shortly what, what Rav Cook said about this Gemara, a beautiful piece in Ayin Ha'ah. He says that Rabbi Yossi was, was suffering from the challenge of those who live past the Chorban and trying to understand how much to cling to the past and how much to move on with the future. And he says that the concept was that when a person wanted to daven, there were many places to daven. But Rabbi Yossi finds himself on the road, means Rabbi Yossi finds himself traveling, moving. He finds himself in transition, unable to stay in the same place of Yerushalayim. He's Baderech. And he tries to find comfort in his life that he's Baderech to find some sense of security in what already it was. He's trying to recount, to go back into the Chorvos Yerushalayim, into some old destroyed ruined building. And a Chorvos is a bad place. A Chorvos is a bad place, Eliyahu Anavi is telling him, is because once the building is destroyed, the building is destroyed. You have to build new buildings. We don't try to go back into the Chorvos and try to connect to the old at that point. At that point, we move on. So he says to him, you don't go. But he says, I want to have a good Shemayin He says, I have more Kavana. The more I go back there, the more I go back within the ruins, the better I can concentrate. The more connected I feel. I'm scared to be on the road. So he says to him, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you're going to have less Kavana. But if HaKadosh Baruch Hu destroyed the base of Mikdash, then our Avodah today is to be Baderach. And even if we do find more security in the Chorva, but our Avodah is to be on the road. And yes, it's going to hit our concentration, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu understands that. And he gives us the tool of a Tefillah Ketzara, where the expectations are lowered. We don't have the full Shemona Asra anymore, but that's our Avaida now, that we're Baderech and we're supposed to try to connect uh, within that way. Omar Leh, he said to me, Bini Mako He says to me, What in the world? What, what did you hear in the Chorva? So Amar Tilo, I said to him, Shemati Basko, Shemonehemes Kayona. I don't have a good word for Nehemes. I don't know what like the like a like a bird, a purr, maybe? I don't know, cry. It cried, what? Cool. Cool, good. It cries out like a dove. And it, and it says, water the sun, because of their sins, I had to destroy my body. I burned the Hekov, I had to exile them to, the, to, to amongst the nations. You know what Eliyahu and Avi told me when I said this to him? I swear on your life and the life of your head. That's an expression of oath. This is not the only time that the Shechina says this. Ella. Shechina says this three times. Three times every single day the Shechina says this. Not only then, when Chalisro goes into Shul and Beis Medrash and they answer, Now there's a whole discussion here in Taisus because if you look at the text of our Gemara, there's no Shmei Rabba. It says, So there's a big discussion about the proper text and the proper meaning about You can look in the bottom Taisus for more information what exactly it is that we're davening for. But whenever it is, then Kla Yisrael answered, Yehishmei Rabbah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Menaynei Rosho. He nods his head. For Omer, he says, Asher Melosh, Wow, how, what a special king. How lucky I am that they praise, they praise him in his home. Even in his home, they speak about them so, so, so well. In other words, when there was a Beis HaMikdash, that was when we had a home. So if we, had, we would have had Yehishmei Rabbah in the Beis HaMikdash, it would have been amazing. 
But Malu la'av she'igla's bonav. Woe to the father who has to exile his sons. Va'oilu lebonim she'golna shulchanaviim. And woe to the sons who had to be exiled from the from the from the table of their father. So what's Hakadosh Baruch Hu saying? Hakadosh Baruch Hu is so moved and stirred by Amen Yehishmei Rabba that it actually becomes sad. Why does it become sad? Because this is not the place to have Yemei Yishmei Rabbah. This is not the home. So it actually, uh, it, it precipitates an emotion from HaKadosh Baruch Hu of sadness. That why don't we have a Beis HaMikdash? So Amin Yishmei Rabbah has that duality. It's a very powerful tefillah. But on the other hand, it also serves HaKadosh Baruch Hu's sadness for the lack of the, uh, of the Beis HaMikdash. Says the Gemara. So now the Gemara continues in this idea of going into the Chor. If they there are three reasons. In Nichnasin Lachorva, there are three reasons why we do not go into old ruined buildings. In other words, we saw Elio was critical of Rabbi Yossi, but he didn't tell him a real reason. Now, he shared something from Rabbi Cook, but he didn't tell him like a, a concrete reason. Why? So there are three reasons. Number one is with Nechashad. What are people going to say? What are people going to say if you go into a private area that he's meeting a prostitute there? If Nechashad, because of Mapolis, it's just sakana, it's just common sense. You don't want to put yourself in danger. Old ruined buildings, old ruined walls are, 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 are danger. They might fall. With Neamazikin, because of demons. Demons, demons populate in areas where people are not. And they are frequent the place of the Chorva, uh, and Mazikin can danger a person. So if they have, so the Gemara now, and this is a very like, typical piece of the Gemara, where we said three reasons, and the Gemara, we like, why do you need three? Where, why isn't one reason good enough? So now the Gemara analyzes. You mentioned the reason because of suspicion people would say he's with a prostitute. What was wrong with the reason that the wall might fall down? Like that seemed like the simplest reason. So the Gemara says, What if it, fresh, it was a new, a new one that just fell? What does it mean it's a new one? The point of the new one is that the foundations, Rashi says, are still strong. So the foundations are still strong just because it's a ruin, but the walls are not in danger of falling further. So in that situation, you would say, oh, maybe I can go in. It's not dangerous. So therefore, we give the reason of chashad to preclude that in that case as well. What about the third reason? Right? Demons are still going to be there. People aren't going to be there, so the demons will be there. So the Gemara says, betray. Maybe you're going in with another person. And the Gemara is saying an interesting thing, that demons only go after people who are alone. But to go after two people, the demons aren't going to go after them. So I, in that scenario, if you're going into a new one, that where there are also two people, in that situation, you would say, everything's good. Kamash Malan, that what? You still shouldn't do it. Because people are going to say you're meeting a prostitute. But the Gemara says, that's not true. Even betray if you have two people. People aren't going to say you're meeting a prostitute because you're not alone. If you were going with a prostitute, then you wouldn't have someone with you. So if there are two people there, and that's the reason there's no chashash of mazikin, then why is there a problem of, of chashad? So the Gemara says, betray you pritzi. The halacha no yichud is that one man is allowed to seclude himself, one man can't seclude himself with a woman because of yichud. But two men are allowed to. But the Mishnah and Kedushin says, if they're pritzi, if they're people who are, unfortunately don't care that much about, about, about moral acts, then they're not. Because even if there are two people, they're not embarrassed of their friends. So the Gemara is borrowing that concept here and it's saying that the two people in the Chorva were pritzi. Or at least the other guy was a pritzi. Let's put it that way. So now that doesn't take away the chashad on you. So you might still be going in to be meeting with the prostitute. So it comes out that the case of a pro- the reason of a prostitute is necessary for in what scenario? Where there was a new wall, was a new foundation, a new wall, and a case where there are two people, but one of them is a pirate. So the only reason why you shouldn't go there is because of chashad. Now the Gemara analyzes the second reason. But then Mapolas, we gave a reason that the wall might fall down. Why doesn't it suffice that people are going to say you're meeting with a prostitute or the reason of mazikin? 
that the demons might get you? So the Gemara answers, betray ukshiri. We're talking about that there are two people and they're kosher. So if you have two kosher people, you don't have the reason of demons. You don't have the reason of chashad. The only reason that you have is that the wall might fall down. What about the third reason? Why do I need the reason of demons? Because of the chashad, umapoles, and that it might fall down. So the Gemara answers, b'chor v'chadati, u'betrei kash. B'chor v'chadati, u'betrei ukshir. We're talking about it's a new building, so there's no mapoles, and there are two kosher people, so there's no chashad. So the only reason is the demons. But the Gemara says, you just told me not that way. Ibetrei, if you have two people, you keep on telling me that there's no demons when there's two people. So in order to get out of the problem of suspicion with the Zona, you have to say there's two kosher people. But if there's two people, then there's no demons. So why do I ever need the reason for demons? So the Gemara says, a very interesting answer. Sometimes there's a concept of like home field advantage. And the, there's a place where demons live. And there's a specific place that they always hang out, if it's that type of corver where they always are, that even if there are two people, it's still dangerous to be there from the demons. If they're on their home field. So they were talking about that the corva is a place that is known to be the home field of the demons. So even if you have two people there, and therefore there's no chashash of, that what are people going to say you're meeting with a prostitute? And there's no chashash of the wall falling down because it's new, but you're still going to have a problem because of the demons. Okay, so it ends up that's the case of the demons. A one where we know free, the demons are always there, it's their home field, and then it's a problem even if there are two people. If he buys him or you could suggest, it could be that there was only one person and it was a new churva. Well, I then why don't you just typically because of the reason that people are going to say you're meeting a zona? The answer is the kaipadabra. The place was, it wasn't in a private place, it was in a field. In other words, yes, it's a ruin, but it's in an open area. There's no chashad, people say you're going to meet a prostitute. The prostitute doesn't go out to the field. It's an annoying place for her to meet. She's not going to agree to meet you there. But there's a problem, so it's new, so it's not going to fall. It's out in the field, so there's no chashash that people are going to say you're meeting with a prostitute. But there is a problem that we're concerned with uh, the demons because you're only alone. So it ends up that we have three reasons why you don't go into a chorva. We have what people are going to say you're meeting with a prostitute. We're scared the wall is going to fall down. And we have the reason of demons. The Gemara has analyzed for us the particular cases and what nafkamina each of the three reasons make. But in general, now the halacha is we don't go into uh, ruined buildings. Now the Gemara goes back to something that it alluded to in the Amin Aleph. In the Amin Aleph, we learned that there are three Mishmaros in the night. Now the Gemara show, shares with us that actually it's a Machlokas Tanom and we introduce another price. So Tanar Abanam. Arba Mishmaros Rabbi Lala, Divir Rebbe. Rebbe's opinion, this is Tam Rebbe's Rebbe Yudah Hanasi, is that there's actually four watches during the night. Rebbe Nassim Amr Shalosh. Rebbe Nassim says three. My time with Rebbe Nassim. Where does Rebbe Nassim get three from? Gemara starts with him. The Chsiv, we have a Pasuk in the story of Gidon. It says that Gidon and his whole camp of people come in the, in, into the edge of the camp in the beginning of the middle Mishmar. So if there's a middle Mishmar, then Tana ain't If it's middle, then there has to be one before and one after. Because if there's four Mishmaros, then there's no middle one. There are two middle Mishmaros, but there's no middle Mishmar. There's four. So it has to be that if the Pasuk is saying that Gidon comes in in the time of the middle Mishmar, that there are three Mishmaros, and the middle Mishmar is, the, is number two. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Nassan responds, Rabbi Nassan again, I'm sorry, no, no, I'm sorry, I'll ask you place. The Gemara says, Rabbi, mighty Chona, what does it mean the middle watch? Again, Rabbi holds that how many watches are there? Four. Achas, It means one of the middle watches. 
So sometimes it doesn't say the middle. It says, okay, one of the middle watches. But Rabbi Nassim, he says back, Your grammar is off. It doesn't say the, a middle watch. It says the middle one. So the grammar implies that it's the only middle one. If it's like you, Rebbe, that there's four mishmaros, then there are two middle watches. So it's the pasuk is imprecise. So it must be that there's only three watches, and now there's the tichon, the middle. Says the Gemara, so that concludes the source for Rebbe Nassim, that there are three watches. Now the Gemara comes back the other way. My time of the Rebbe, what's the source for Rebbe, for Rebbe Yudah Nasi that there are four watches? Amr Zrika, Amr Ami, Amr Bishuv and Levi. Now we've learned about the practices of David HaMalch. One Pasuk says by David, David says, I get up at Chatzos, to, to thank you, for all of your laws and statutes. David is saying that he gets up at Chatzos. Another Pasuk says, My eyes are Ashmoros ahead of the rest of the world. I'm up Mishmoros more than the rest of the world. The rest of the world wakes up during the day. I wake up at Chatzos. I am up in the plural. Two mishmaros ahead of the rest of the world. So Haketzad, why is waking up at midnight two mishmaros ahead? If there's only three mishmaros during the night, then 12 o'clock a.m. till the daybreak is how much ahead? One and a half. If there are four mishmaros, then it's good. How does it go? The second mishmar ends at Chatzos, and then the next two mishmaros are each three hours from 12 a.m. until daybreak. So then it's good. If David gets up at Chatzos, he has two mishmaros ahead of the rest of the world. But if there's three mishmaros, each one is four hours, so the middle mishmar goes from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., then if somebody gets, out, gets up at Chatzos, how much earlier are they getting up than the rest of the world? I know it's six hours, but it's not really two mishmaros ahead. It's one and a half mishmaros ahead. So that's wrong. You wouldn't say mishmaros. So Haketz said, Abra mishmaros It must be that there are four mishmaros in the night, and David is getting up two mishmaros ahead. For Rebbe Nassan, Sabalak Rebbe Yeshua. Rebbe Nassan holds like Rebbe Yeshua. It's not, this is the halacha, by the way. So here's Perikaf here. Rebbe Yeshua, Omar, Ad Shalos, Shalos. What's the latest time a person can say Shema during the day? So the question that the Mishnah is talking about, we'll learn this more in depth in, in its place, but what's the latest time that society gets up? It's three hours into the day. Kings sleep in. They don't have to go out up early to go to work. So the kings sleep in, and the kids then will only wake up three hours into the day. So if that's, David HaMelech is comparing himself not to society at large that wakes up in the beginning of the day. He's comparing himself to another king. Another king like David would wake up three hours into the day. So if he's, David's waking up at Chatzos, how many hours is he waking up before this uh, king would? Six hours of the night till daybreak. And then another three hours that usually would take the kings to get out of bed. Shasis Delilah, six hours of the night. Tired did Yamama. If even just use two hours out of those three, that's two mishmaros. Because again, if there are three mishmaros in the night, how many hours is each mishmar? Four. So if David is getting up nine hours before the rest of the king, then he's two mishmaros, at least two mishmaros ahead. So that's the meaning. He's not saying I'm up two mishmaros before the beginning of the day. There's really only a mishmar and a half till the beginning of the day. But he's up two mishmaros before a regular king would wake up. A regular king would wake up at 9 a.m. If David is waking up at midnight, then he is mishmaros ahead of what is expected. And Ravashi, Yomar, Ravashi doesn't, is not bothered by the whole question. He says, mishmaro pago, nami mishmaros karile. One and a half is also mishmaros. Because the half makes it 
an additional thing. So David is up mishmaros ahead of the rest of the world, even though it's technically only one and a half, but that's also called mishmaros in the plural sense. So either way we look at it, we have defended the opinion that there are only three mishmaros, but again, Rabbi Yehuda Anasi looked at this thing with David getting up at Chatzos and saying, I got up mishmaros ahead of the world as a source that there are four mishmaros during the night. Zok the Gemara, this is something that's just a complete tangent, but we mentioned this name in the Gemara, so we mentioned another thing he said. When you're sitting in front of a dead body, and this is where you see some of the times the concept of Shmira for a dead body, you shouldn't let a dead body sit alone. So when you're sitting there, you shouldn't say anything unless it has something to relate that relates to the mace. It relates to something of that he needs or something that he did. Shouldn't Stam have idle talk? So the Gemara says, It's only not to learn. Because learning is mean. It's like, it's, like, it's like rubbing it in to the mace that it can't learn while you're sitting and learning in front of it. That's wrong. If you want to talk about the weather, less lambah. That's totally acceptable. But the second interpretation, even to learn. Even though you're doing a mitzvah and learning, you still shouldn't. Just the opposite. All the more certain that you can't talk about the weather. So we have here a dispute in the Gemara. It's clear in both opinions that you're not allowed to learn in front of a mace. But is it mutter to discuss something else, or is it certainly usher? That's a dispute between the two versions here in the Gemara. Now the Gemara challenges what, what we said before. Did David really wake up in the middle of the night? Is that true? He would wake up at dawn. How do you know? I got up at Neshef. So the Gemara thinks that Neshef means dawn. My Neshef or How do you know that Neshef is? I'm sorry, not dawn. Sorry, the beginning of the night. Neshef is the, the beginning of the night. Dusk. So how do you know that dot that it means dusk? So it seems like we have this idea that it's the beginning of the night. So what's what's the deal? Is David really only getting up at Chatzos? It seems like from this other boss he's getting up at Neshef. And Neshef means the beginning of the night. So Amar Amar David. There were many times that he got up before Chatzos, that he was already up at the beginning of the night and good to go. But he's saying the latest possible time I would ever get out of bed was Chatzos. Sometimes it was earlier, but the latest possible time was Chatzos. He was sleeping, but he was sleeping like a horse sleeps. Then he would jump out of bed like a lion. So what does it mean he was sleeping the way that a horse sleeps? So it seems like horses, right? They don't really, uh, they're not deep sleepers, huh? They're, they're just catching a few Z's here and there, standing up, all these sorts of things. So David Amela from night until Chatzos was just doing a little bit of a doze. After Chatzos, he, he woke up. So that's the resolution. On the one hand, he woke up in the beginning of the night, meaning it wasn't an intense sleep, but he actually also woke up only at Chatzos. Rabbi Ashi Amar, that the whole thing is not literal. You're supposed to look at this non-literally. Al Chatzos, Laila Isaac, Bedevar In the beginning of the night, he was learning Tyra. Then he switched his form, he switched what he was doing, and he started singing songs to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So that's the resolution. That in the beginning of the night, he's up, is not a steer to saying he wakes up at Chatzos because he's awakening to different activities. That's the meaning of the Pasuk. The beginning of the night was Torah, the second half of the night was songs. Okay. Now we clarified, now that we got David Amel's practice down, the beginning of the night and Chatzos, now the Gemara challenges the whole thing. Is Neshef really mean the beginning of the night? For Neshef Orta, does Neshef mean night? Haneshef Tzafra, Neshef means the opposite, daybreak. Tzachziv, Vayakim David, David struck them. We're talking about a war that David fought. It says he struck them, Mehaneshef, Ad HaErev Lamachrasim, from Neshef until the next Erev. So my love, what, what does it mean from Neshef until the next Erev? Mitzafra, Laila. It means from morning until night. 
Says the Gemara, may orta at orta. Maybe it means from night until night. Maybe Nashville is really the beginning of the night, and it means he struck them from, from a 24-hour 24 peri- period from the beginning of one night till the beginning of the, of the next night. Says the Gemara, but then why the language switch? Iachi, if that's what it means, if Neshef really means beginning of the night, and it means he struck them from night until the next night, lifto mea Neshef ad ha Neshef, or mea Erev ad ha Erev. But why switch the words? David hit them from Neshef until Erev. Clearly, Neshef and Erev are not synonyms. Clearly, there are some other times. So we really rather we see in this passage that Neshef means morning. David hit them from morning until night. So it's a stira. Does Neshef mean morning or does Neshef mean the beginning of the night? Neshef just means like the changing of time, the changing of the sky. So Neshef can mean either one. There's two Neshefs. The Neshef Lael Vasi Yamama, the light moves away and the day comes, and there's Neshef Yamama Vasi Lael. So Neshef really means to move away, literally. So Neshef can now, is a noun that means either the sun, the, the, the change, the transition from day to night, or the transition from night to day. It can mean both. When David Amalek says, I got up at Neshef, he meant the beginning of the night. When that Pasuk says that David hit them from Neshef at Ad Erev, it means from morning until night. So it can actually change depending on the context. Now, frankly, Gemara Kasha, how does David Amalek wake up at Chatzos? David, we have a Yadav Pagod the Laila Imas. How can David know when Chatzos is? Hashem Meishu Rabbeinu lo Yadav. Meishu Rabbeinu is clearly even on a bigger level than David. Doesn't know when Chatzos is. What's the Raya? Tzitzit. When Moshe says that there's going to be Makas Pachoros, he says Kachatzos alayla and Yosef mitzvahon shrayim. Kachatzos with a kuf around Chatzos. Hashem is going to do it. My kachatzos. What do you mean around chatzos? You think that's what Hashem said? Is Hashem, is Hashem also not sure? And Moshe is just repeating the words of Hashem? Can there be a doubt in front of God about when chatzos is? That's blasphemous to say such a thing. What must be? Really Hashem said to Moshe, But Moshe doesn't know when chatzos is. So therefore, also the Eov Amar Kachatzos. So he speaks to in, in, in terms of his understanding. So it's around Chatzos because there is no Achatzos to Moshe. There's only approximate time. Alma Masapkale. So the takeaway is that Moshe doesn't know when Chatzos is. So David have a Yoda. So how could David know? How could David be on a greater level than Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't know when Chatzos is. So how could David describe himself? I wake up at Chatzos. How could such a thing be? So the Gemara answer is David Simona Havale. It's not that David knew it. He didn't have more knowledge than Moshe. He just had a good trick. And a good trick is understandable that he may have had. What was David's trick? It was a harp on top of his bed. As soon as Chatzos Lila would come, the northern wind would come and Oshevis Bowen played through the harp. It would play on its own. Immediately, he would stand up and engage in Torah study. So the Gemara has resolved this question by answering that it wasn't a matter of knowledge, it wasn't about brains, it was just that David had a good trick. It's an interesting Gemara. The Marshal really is bothered here because we, ultimately, who cares whether it was a simon or whether it was more knowledge? At the end of the day, David had something more than Moshe. But it seems to be from the Gemara that a simon, a simon is very external. A simon isn't knowing the thing itself. You take away the harp, if someone would steal the harp from David's bed, David would... Not knowing chatzos is. So he's not connected to the knowledge of the knowing of chatzos. So that doesn't bother us if, uh, if David is able to have a sign, an indication when chatzos is, even though Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu did not. 
Okay, so now the Gemara continues. It's a little bit odd on this ta- why this tangent comes. Because the Gemara is in the middle describing the daily routine of David of waking up a Chatzos in the beginning of the night. Now the Gemara describes a story that took place one time. It makes it sound like if you read the Gemara simply, it would sound like this was David's routine. It's not. The Gemara is describing a one-time story. What happened was, once daybreak came, there was one time that the old wise men came in, his advisors came in to him, they said to him, our master, the king, Ahmad, stand up, the Jews are too poor, we don't have enough money, there's a big problem, the economy is failing. Right? Wealth, redistribute the wealth, the rich should support the poor. So I don't know, this is obviously, I don't mean to make any political statements, but he's, they're basically saying it doesn't work. Because the, the way that they say it is a little bit of a comets, which means a little, you know, uh, uh, finger's worth, can't satisfy the line. Meaning it's not going to work. People, we need a ton of wealth. And the other problem is, a bit of war cannot be filled up from its own dirt. So that's the concept that we need to look elsewhere. We can't look, look within the Jewish people to sustain it. So Amr Lam, you know what the move is? Let's go fight a war. Let's go fight a war and we'll we'll beat another country and we'll get money. Miyad Achitofel. Achitofel is David's advisor. You ask the Sanhedrin. So that's the three-pronged uh, attack here. You have Achitofel, the Sanhedrin, and the Umar Bitumim. Amr Abusi microbe. Where do we see all this here in the Psukim? It says Achitofel so, I'm sorry. So the Gemara now explains who each one was. So Achitofel, he is the advisor. So he is the one who is the advisor of David. We have Sanhedrin. Rashi explains is the leader of the Sanhedrin. Who is Avyasar? Elu urim vitumim because Avyasar was the Kohen Gadol. Lachenu Omer. The pasuk says, Ubinayo ben Yehoyada ala crazy va'ala placey. Binayo ben Yehoyada, the Kohen Gadol, was appointed over the crazy and the placey. What is the crazy and placey? That is the urim vitumim. Why is and that's what it means. He would be people who wanted to know things would go over to him, ask him the questions. He would use the urim vitumim to do it again. What's the urim vitumim? It's a big dispute amongst the Rishonim what it is. I think we were taught in school like uh, one of the opinions that the that the that, that the, the, the the letters on the choshen would light up. It's not so simple that that's true. Bechlal, the essence of the urim vitumim lekuleyama was that there was a, a piece of paper with a slip that was slipped in the middle of the choshen which had the shame havaya. Whether or not the letters lit up or how exactly they spoke to it is a big dispute amongst the Rishonim. But at any rate, the Binyal Ben was the Kohen Gadol. He was in charge of the crazy and Placey. Lamanak Rashimam, Crazy and Placey. Why are the Urim Tumim called Crazy and Placey? Crazy and Crazy and Placey. Crazy Shakarsim Divraim. Their words are cut, right? You see, Rashi says very. Meaning, they're very concise. Very succinct, I guess is a good word. Placey shemuflaim bedivrayim. So even though they're very succinct, very short, but they're mufla, they're wondrous, meaning they're so amazing on what they're able to do. So those are the 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 the, the idea that it's called crazy and placey. Okay, fine, very good. 
Let's um, let's just do one more line. We'll call it a day. And then they went to war. And the Mar says, So this is the pasuk that that, that where the Mar is just describing how we know that he had a harp is from that pasuk. So there's a sleep that David Amelech wakes up. It all comes from the navel. The navel is the harp that wakes David Amelech up at Katzayis. Oh.